When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For me, striking isn't just about my own problems with Etsy, but when I hear someone saying, I'm not gonna make rent this month, I have no choice. I need to go on strike with this person. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. You're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Welcome back, Madison. I have some great news for you. Uh, are we producing a full-scale musical? Are we finally making a musical episode? No, but Elon Musk bought 9% of Twitter stock, and now he's on the board of directors. <laughs> you really just had to ruin it, didn't you? As some of my Twitter mutuals call him, Apartheid Clyde is now <laughs> fully involved in Twitter. <laughs> I just Twitter is bad enough with him just as a user. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I don't need him in charge of the users. A power user, if you may. <laughs> Has the power user made any uh, sweeping declarations of said power yet? I mean, I think the most important thing he's probably said so far is that he might actually be introducing an edit button and people have been asking for this. And like most things people ask for on the internet, this is not actually a good idea. We do not need the power to edit our tweets. Tumblr taught <laughs> us what happens when you can edit posts after you post them. I think what Rachel's describing is uh, if one wrote a tweet and then said tweet was embedded in a BuzzFeed article, and then you changed the tweet to just say, pardon my French, fuck off BuzzFeed. <laughs> That's what the article would say. And you can do that now with name flaming, which is when you change your display name. But this would be that on a whole nother level. Also, you know, perhaps having a tweet go viral and then changing it to something like, let's all take ivermectin and then it'll all it get promoted into your feed because it's a viral tweet. There are a lot of reasons that this should not be a thing. Leave your typos in the tweet. It's fine. <laughs> okay, but... I should be allowed to have an edit button. As a person who is phenomenally bad with a typo, I think personally, I should be entitled to an edit button. No, because with great power comes great responsibility, and I don't actually know if I trust you like that. Wow. It's been a year. The truth comes out. (laughs) I don't feel like this is anything new. (laughs) I need an edit button for my podcast host. (laughs) Edit, delete. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. No edit buttons for anyone, Uh, but a strike over on Etsy for everyone. That's what we're going to talk about today on the show. Etsy is going on strike. Well, the sellers of Etsy are going on strike. In February of this year, Etsy CEO, who's named Josh Silverman, announced that despite the fact that uh, company revenue is at an all-time high, Etsy is increasing their transaction fees. This means beginning on April 11th, which is coming up very quickly, Etsy would be taking... 30%, 30%, I'm going to say that one more time, 30, 30% more from a seller's bottom line than they used to be. Soon after this news broke, thousands of Etsy sellers announced they'll be going on strike for a little over a week, from April 11th to April 18th. 
They are also asking shoppers not to cross the picket line. And at the time of recording, just under 35,000 people have signed a petition agreeing to boycott Etsy for as long as the sellers are on strike. So since Etsy was founded in 2005, it has developed a reputation for, you know, hosting and supporting small business owners. And frankly, prior to doing research for this episode, Rachel, that was still my understanding of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But here's the part where we say, but now I've learned. And uh, according to sellers on the platform, that February transaction fee increase is actually just the most recent change in a really long line of changes that demonstrate Etsy doesn't seem to care anymore about helping the small businesses that made the platform the platform. Later on the show, we'll be talking to one of those Etsy sellers about her experience on the platform, how it's changed over the years, and what led her to join the strike. But first, how did we get to this point? After the break, we'll be back to talk about the history of Etsy and why this fee increase is really just the final straw. being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Etsy, except not really because they're on strike. So this month, like we said, Etsy sellers are going to go on strike. From April 11th through April 18th, about 5,000 sellers who have planned to participate in this strike are going to close their shops in an attempt to show Etsy just how important sellers are to Etsy's bottom line. For a sense of scale, there's about... Five, a little over five, 5.3 million sellers on Etsy, according to company data. So a strike of 5,000 isn't exactly a majority, but it's not an insignificant number, especially considering that sellers have to go off platform to organize, right? There is no Etsy union. The movement actually started on Reddit, a, a real mixed bag of places. But <laughs> on the subreddit, our Etsy sellers, which has about 68,000 members, a user who goes by the name Rejecting Normality created. Love it. It's truly amazing. Created a post titled, We Need an Etsy Sellers Union. I actually have a question, which is how does one officially strike on Etsy? Do you delete your whole shop? Can you put a like <laughs> closed sign up? Do you take your items down? I mean, basically some variation of the close sign. You can put your shop in vacation mode, which means that nobody can purchase anything from you, which is great, a great functionality to have in case you do actually want to go on vacation or on strike. (laughs) Yeah, the vacation you can't go on because uh, Etsy is cutting so deeply into your profits. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Rejecting Normality, whose real name is Christy Cassidy, has been leading the charge 
ever since that post. She started the site EtsyStrike.org, which includes the demands of the strikers. We will explain these in more detail later, but the primary demands are canceling the fee increase we just mentioned, cracking down on resellers, and allowing sellers to opt out of an advertising program. I want to take a minute to shout out a piece that ran on The Verge at the end of March by Mia Sato, uh, which was perhaps the first piece of coverage I read about the Etsy strike. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's a really good primer. So EtsyStrike.org also includes sample vacation mode announcements, these really cute little templates for mailing stickers that include info about the strike that you can stick on your packages, and just a lot of other resources. We'll also be linking to the blog in the show notes, but the site pretty effectively answers all the questions that anyone could have about the strike, why it's happening, and why it's so hard for sellers to leave the platform. I love the idea of the stickers because that's, I so deeply associate those stickers with ordering from Etsy. You know, you get Mm -hmm. the cute little package with the like custom wrapping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. the idea of the sticker being like, screw Etsy, join us. (laughs) (laughs) There's a strike, don't order for me. (laughs) So it is, like you said, hard for sellers to leave this platform because Etsy has the tech and it's pretty easy to use. There are built-in customer service tools, advertising, and most importantly, a really powerful search engine, which <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't have Etsy shops I frequent. I just no. type in items. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am staring actually at a crochet wall hanging that I bought after searching crochet wall hanging on Etsy. Can I put you on blast? Yes. Yeah, fine. Remember that time you wanted to buy a, a stick, like a tree branch from Etsy? Okay. It was an aesthetically pleasing stick that would have been supporting a small business, or so I thought. (laughs) Please, who will think of the small stick sellers? (laughs) Anyway, this very powerful search engine is one of the only ones on the internet where you can type in, for example, aesthetic stick (laughs) and get access to hundreds of presumably small businesses that you otherwise would have had to research individually and probably got a shit ton of ads through Google for. So I spent way too long on this strike blog, and something I found really compelling is the way that they lay out how much a seller needs to raise their prices to keep making profits Mm, as mm -hmm. Etsy raises these fees. Compared to an item for sale in 2018, to make the same profit now, you would have to increase your prices 36%, and that's according to the organizers of the Etsy strike. By comparison, inflation during that same time period is just under 14%. So uh, that's a lot of money we're talking about. Cassidy has also started a petition on coworker.org, which we said at the top, and tens of thousands of people have signed on to support this Etsy strike. We did reach out to Etsy regarding the strike, and they provided us a statement via spokesperson, reiterating that Etsy is committed to the success of their sellers. Quote, we are always receptive to seller feedback. And in fact, the new fee structure will enable us to increase our investments in areas outlined in the petition, including marketing, customer support, and removing listings that don't meet our policies. So now we know what's going on with the strike how it's being mobilized, but how exactly did Etsy change from a site where you go to presumably support small businesses to a site that small businesses are now organizing against? Etsy was founded in 2005, and they were focused on vintage things and handmade things and individualized products that went straight from creator to consumer. You know, art, clothes, crafts, anything handmade you could imagine, you could find it on Etsy. 
It really developed and honed a reputation as a kind of side hustle marketplace where creative people used it to hawk their specialized wares. And it created this centralized location that was unavailable in real life because where else could you find such a collection of small businesses from not only all over the country, but all over the world? Also, you have to remember it's 2005. Facebook groups aren't a thing yet. Instagram, not a thing yet. There is nowhere like this yet. eBay, of course, but that does a different thing. And and all of these sorts of platforms that we now would take for granted as places you could sell handmade wares, they're not things yet. But so the first eight years or so kind of lived and died by these craft show vibes. I mean, when I think of Etsy, I kind of think of, you know, this giant conference hall full of stalls featuring like any handmade bobble you could possibly imagine it's basically an online flea market it's my like church's christmas bazaar yeah Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) it was until about 2012 when the platform began to change when in 2012 around 3,000 sellers decided to go on strike to protest the way Etsy handled an investigation into a seller who was selling mass-produced furniture. At the time, that was actually forbidden on the platform. Huh. Yeah, and so all these sellers were upset about the way the Etsy decided to handle this investigation. And so <laughs> rather than enforce its own rules, Etsy simply changed its rules in 2013 to allow sellers to outsource production. Because the thing is to crack down on sellers that are selling items that are produced elsewhere would cut into the company's profits. This prompted a influx of dropshipping companies. And we've talked a little bit about dropshipping on the show because you can't exist on the internet these days and buy things and not. But in case you're not familiar with the term, dropshipping is when a company sells you a product that they don't actually have in stock. So instead, they'll contract with a third-party seller to fulfill whatever you order, and then that company will ship it directly to you or dropship it directly to you. This, of course, allows for these big dropship companies to start dominating the market and pushing out smaller creators by undercutting their business. Because the thing about dropshippers is that because they don't actually have anything in stock, they have everything in stock. They can carry literally anything in the world at once versus a macrame artist who can only sell what they can make with the supplies that they have. It's pretty clear based on this description why an artisan on Etsy would be really pissed off by the presence and increasing presence of dropshippers. Because not only does it hurt their business, but it's antithetical to the ethos that Etsy is founded on, this idea of curated goods that are being bought and sold between people. There's no people at a dropship company. It's just just a dropship company. Also, as Madison kind of alluded to, the provenance of drop-shipped items is usually extremely murky, ethically dubious, and probably environmentally unsustainable. So most people, me, Rubes, who haven't been keeping up with the shifting nature of Etsy, go to Etsy.com thinking I am getting around the fast fashion drop-ship industrial complex only to be taken in by a pretty little Etsy shop that actually is just a front for a dropshipping company. (laughs) My earrings, Shein. (laughs) No, exactly. You think your earrings are Etsy, but they're Shein. (laughs) Things only keep getting worse for Etsy sellers when the company goes public in 2015, because this is 
the final nail in the coffin of the most important people being involved in an Etsy transaction being the buyer or the seller, because now there are shareholders in the company. And what do shareholders love more than the efficiency of a factory system? So more and more dropshippers are joining the company. The company is focused on revenue in an increasing way that seems to be negatively impacting sellers. And it's not going great if you're an Etsy seller, to be honest. Yeah, and then it continues to not go great. Because in early 2020, Etsy, which by the way, records record profits during the pandemic, implemented a mandatory advertising policy that sellers were required to participate in if their shops made over $10,000 in sales each year. Now, most shops on Etsy don't, but obviously a fair amount do. So what this program did was advertise individual sellers' items on what Etsy called high-traffic sites across the internet, so places like Facebook, Pinterest, and Google. So what that means is, say you, Madison, are on Facebook, and you see an Etsy ad. It's not just an ad for the site, though. It's an ad for a specific seller, let's say a candle shop. On the surface, that seems great for that candle shop, right? Yeah, they look they look calm and ready. Exactly. And paying for that kind of advertising, as we know, is pretty expensive. But the thing is, if you bought the candle from that candle shop through that Facebook ad, Etsy automatically takes at least a 12% fee from the seller on top of the existing 5% service fee for every transaction. And if that candle shop makes over $10,000 a year, they didn't have a choice about whether or not that ad was placed there. I definitely bought the candle. We all bought the candle because we thought, look at me. I'd like to apologize to the candle seller. (laughs) Supporting a small business. And the thing is, when the program launched in 2020, every single seller was automatically enrolled, even the stores making less than $2,000 a year. So if you were an Etsy seller under that threshold, you still had to go into your settings and turn off the service. We love an opt-out feature. So this went over great, I assume, right? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Phenomenally. People loved it. No, sellers called it out for it was, which is a blatant cash grab without any tangible benefits besides the hopes of clicks from advertisements. That was a really quick timeline. We've now caught up to the present. And those are just a few of the reasons that have been building up and building up for months and years leading up to this seller strike. There's a few more reasons that we don't have time to get into, but we'll make sure to link to some additional reading in the show notes if you are curious to dig even deeper into the uh, trials and tribulations of trying to sell stuff on Etsy. And after the break, we'll be back to hear about those trials and tribulations from an Etsy seller who'll be sharing her perspective on the fee increase, the strike, and whether or not this means she'll just leave Etsy altogether. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, 
And I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi there. Just want to take a moment to shout out anybody who is listening to ICYMI for the very first time. We're so glad you're here. Uh, In case you missed it. Our show actually comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so be sure to check us out on both days of the week. If you want to listen back, last Wednesday's episode was all about how the unofficial Bridgerton musical came from behind to win a Grammy, and somehow that's legal. And we're back with Etsy seller Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you run the Common Prayer Shop on Etsy. Could you tell us a little bit about it? I sew things and I'm an Episcopalian. And so I have found this incredible niche where I make toys, home goods, accessories for Episcopalians, mainline Protestants, and anybody who's interested. So everything from scrunchies to tea towels to plushies, it's all on Etsy. So you've been on Etsy for about two years now. What has your experience been like on the platform? I have had a great experience with buyers. It's been wonderful meeting new people. At the same time, there has been this growing sense of doom. It's harder and harder to sell on Etsy as a random woman in Houston. And as fees have been rising, as weird uh, management choices have been increasing, like the Star Sellers program and things like that, that I'm sure we can talk about more, it's just become harder to, to stay afloat. Which is such a shame because it's such it's a beautiful place to meet people in this marketplace. So you mentioned weird management choices and the Star Seller program specifically. What exactly is up with that? So we all got a notification last year. It was introducing the Star Seller program. This is something that will track your every move as a seller. And if <laughs> you if you meet our threshold for what we think is a good seller. Things like consistent five-star reviews, responding to messages within a certain amount of time. If you meet thresholds of behavior, then we're going to give you this little badge, piece of flair, and we're going to boost you in our results when people start searching for your products. That works great for corporations, right? The problem is that we're real human beings with real human being lives, and maybe we don't respond to a message in time. Maybe we're making custom products where the shipping time has to take longer than what Etsy might expect for a generic Mm. service. If I'm handcrafting someone a table and we agree that it is going to take six months, Etsy takes away your star seller rating. Oh, (laughs) here's the the best part for me. If someone leaves a glowing four-star review, we get mad now because we're Mm. going to lose our star seller status. And that person was just trying to be honest and helpful to other people. It feels like Amazon. If you're going to shop at Amazon, like shop at Amazon right? I don't know why Etsy is trying to compete directly with Amazon. They have this niche and they're abandoning it. And they're abandoning the sellers who make Etsy such a great place to shop. Part of that abandonment comes in the form of these fee increases. What was your first reaction when you heard about those? Oh, classic, like spit out my drink. Are you (laughs) kidding me? 30% increase. What? One of the really cool parts of this strike that I've gotten to participate in firsthand, it's so cool, is just this building of community. Um, Folks are organizing not just on Reddit, people are really getting together because we are collectively fed 
up. And honestly, my livelihood, my rent doesn't rely on my Etsy sales, but I know other people do rely on it. And so for me, striking isn't just about my own incentives, my own problems with Etsy. But when I hear someone saying, I'm not going to make rent, I'm not going to be able to afford food this month, I have no choice. And it's rooted in my faith. I need to go on strike with this person. You mentioned organizing online and getting to see that firsthand. Can you tell us a little bit more about like where these conversations are happening, what it's like to kind of see this, I guess, up close? I first got involved through Twitter, which is like my main social media. Mm -hmm. And then so through that, I found out, okay, this is really happening on Reddit. So I'm like, put on my hard hat and dive into the Reddit (laughs) mines. (laughs) And then I discovered there's a discord for more like quick feedback with everybody. So it's happening on all these different levels. Um, outward and inward as well. Etsy has to be watching. You know they 100% are. We talked a little bit about the demands of the strike um, earlier in the show, but I'm curious, what are like your top demands? Like, What is the thing you want to see change the most? Immediately take back this 30% increase in fees. More long-term, what's important to me is cracking down on resellers. These factories are undercutting our ability as actual small sellers and craftspeople to make it onto that first page of results that you get when you search for a given thing. You want to give a gift Mm. to somebody, that first page of results more and more is going to be factories. And I don't think that's what you're looking for if you're browsing on Etsy. And I want to find people who will really enjoy my stuff. That's really funny. Not funny. Interesting, because so many people go to Etsy specifically to find small businesses. So if the first page is all stuff you could get from like AliExpress, that's kind of a kind of a scam. Or at least like the algorithm isn't doing its job. On paper, Etsy is a really great place, which is why it's so heartbreaking to see this shift to prioritizing factories over small artisans. They have a great brand that they inherited from the days before they started making these choices. Before 2015, when they went public, they were a B Corp, which is a voluntary opt-in certification for being an ethical company. They're still riding the coattails of that, like, 2014 happy Etsy, and then they've sort of transformed behind the orange logo into something that looks very different. Are they still a B Corp? No, they've replaced that with some platitudes and like public statements, but they are not volunteering to be held to the standards of a B Corp anymore. I'm curious, what's the wider tenor of the conversation like about what happens after this strike if, for example, like the fee increase stays the same? Are there next steps y'all have discussed? Probably the most beautiful thing out of this strike is that we're all in solidarity with each other and we have built these networks. So if it's necessary to strike again, we will. We are going to actively pursue media opportunities to get the word out to people to, yes, sock it to (laughs) Etsy, right? (laughs) In the most loving way possible. Like we love Etsy. That's the thing. We're not out here striking because we hate Etsy and we all want to leave. We all very much want to stay on the platform. For a lot of people, it's their sole source of income. But if Etsy makes that impossible, a lot of us are building our parachutes to leave. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking through this strike. We wish you guys all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
All right, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday. Please subscribe. It is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode or a strike update. Please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your comrades about us. Uh, We are on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod. Feel free to send questions, comments, concerns, and also email ICYMI at site.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. We're edited by Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank. And Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcast. See you online. Or at the picket line. We're getting in the time machine? We are. Make the time machine sound. Here we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.